Amen. I want to, uh, today may be just a, a, a slightly different format. Um, I really have two things this morning and, and that I'd like to cover, two different sort of veins of ministry. And um, neither, neither one of them really have anything to do with one another, but they're both, I feel like, important. And um, I uh, could not get a release on which direction to go, so I'm going to follow the Lord the best I can today, and we're going to do both. Um, we're used to that here. We used to did, did it all year where we had all last year where we had two sort of different veins. And uh, I, I wrestle sometimes when God gives me things like this in the summertime because the pastor's heart in me knows how many are not going to be here. And um, I was laughing uh, with Brother Bickley this morning. I said, you know, you know, it's summertime and it's really summertime. When Brother Cassius and Sister Debbie Owens are on vacation, we have officially crossed over into summer. Um, and so I, I, we have, we've been blessed with technology um, so that we can allow those who are not here to go back and, and, and listen. And maybe, those, maybe there's some that are watching. But I want to kind of cover two different things. One is something that's in your bulletin today, those notes that are in your bulletin, and the other one is going to be part two to last week's um, uh, teaching that we did last week. But I want to just read a passage of Scripture to you, uh, and I want to just go through some things here this morning, because we talked about last week that this was, uh, it was sort of a kickoff last week to, the, uh, to our summer, and one of the things that I feel like the Lord is wanting us to do uh, this year is to make it a summer of sowing. And I mean that from the standpoint of understanding what that means and not from the traditional standpoint that we're going to go buy uh, 16,000 flyers and each one of us is going to take a stack of 150 and it's going to be your job to pass those out. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about a summer of sowing. Um, we may do something of those things, but that's not the intent of what we're going to do. We're really trying to walk in the footsteps of Christ and how he did it. So I want to look at a passage of scripture, Luke chapter 24, and I want to look at some key verses in here that's going to show us, again, not the only way to do something, but a pattern that Jesus lays out in Luke 24 that I think there's some things in this pattern that we can glean from. And again, sometimes we get so caught up that this is the only method. I'm not saying that this is the only method. But I think there's some key principles in this passage of Scripture that can help us in our own journey as we uh, are used in letter of the Lord. So let's look at I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to pull out some key verses in this chapter, Luke chapter 24. To give you context, this is beginning immediately after the resurrection of Jesus. And that's where we are in the story. Verse number 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and a certain woman... A certain other woman with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened they were greatly perplexed about this that beheld. Two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? So this is the context of where we are. We understand that Jesus is now resurrected. But something happens right after this moment 
We pick it up in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together as of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were, rest- were restrained that they did not know him. Skipping down to verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him to say, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And when he went to stay with them, now it came to, and he went to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then, everybody say then. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. Verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the, the eleven. And those who were there gathered, were with them gathered together. Saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And verse 35, and they told the thing, told about the things which they had, what had happened on the road, and now he has, he was known to them in the break, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them saying, peace be to you. And finally, verse 44, then Jesus, then he said unto them these words which I have spoken unto you, while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of the Father, of promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are undued with power on high. Now, there's a lot of un, seemingly unconnected strands to that. So let's go back if we can and let's connect the dots to this because it's going to show us a pattern that Jesus gives us. Again, this is not a pattern that's the only pattern, but I think it's a pattern that we can see and glean from in our own life. There are four key components to that passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 24. I would encourage you to go back and read the entirety of it. I skipped quite a few verses. But there are four key components to that. Communion, revelation, commission, and impartation. Let's go back if we can and look at the beginning of this. And notice that there are two men walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has just uh, uh, arisen. And in this moment, Jesus comes along and begins to walk with them on their path. It's amazing to me and mind-blowing. We talked about in the beginning this morning about the awe of Christ. It's mind-blowing to me that Jesus is mindful of the path in which I walk. It's amazing to me that Jesus is mindful, Brother Owens, of the path that I walk, that he knows the road that I'm walking. That the man Christ Jesus cares about that. And what's even more astonishing is that he goes out of his way to draw near to us. 
Just like we see in these two men that were walking on this road to Emmaus, is that this seven mile journey that Jesus not only comes alongside their path, but starts to walk with them on their journey. Is putting his feet down next to where they're putting their feet down and, and is dealing with the same conditions. Now, by that time, he's a glorified God. He's glorified. He's not the, he's not just the man Christ Jesus any longer, but his body's been glorified. But even with that, I mean, just, we, we read it just a few minutes ago that he just vanishes out of thin air and at one point he just appears in the middle of the disciples. He has the ability to just say, hey guys, I'll meet you where you're going. I already know where you're going because I'm God. I already know where you're supposed to end up. I'll meet you down there. But he cared enough about their journey to get down and walk alongside them on their path. When you begin to look at this, you can realize that there are two major components that begin to arise out of this deal. And that is, there's two things that Jesus begins to look at. And the first one is communion. Because notice what took place in this passage of Scripture. And that is, the first thing that took place is Jesus built a bridge of communion. When I say communion, I'm not talking about the communion you're thinking of where we drink wine and eat crackers and we say a few prayers and we sing, you're my brother, you're my sister. That's not the communion we're talking about. We're talking about the fact of getting down where someone's living and breaking the bond of just being a a religious event, but getting into their lives. That's what Jesus did. To the point where the Bible says that he even went and broke bread with them. Now get this. He's a glorified body. He doesn't need to eat. He's no longer hungry. He doesn't need food anymore. But yet he knew the importance of communing with them to the point that he did something that he didn't need but they needed. He didn't need to eat, but they needed to eat. But he knew that being with them and eating with them would build a bridge with these two men that would open the door to the next step, which was revelation. Notice that in the beginning of this whole entire thing, go back and read it, he didn't reveal himself to them until he first built a bridge of communion. He didn't say, oh, by the way, guys, it's me. Now let's go get some food. The Bible clearly says in Luke 24 that when they met up on the road, they didn't know who he was. Why didn't he say to them, hey, it's me. Hey guys, I just want to let you know. You want to see the nail scars in my hands? Look at my forehead. I've got scars from the thorns. You want me to take off my, my robe? I'll show you my back. He didn't do any of that. He kept his identity cloaked. Until he first built a bridge of communion. That was the first thing that Jesus did when meeting these two men on the road is he walked their journey with them and he built a bridge in their world before he brought them into his world. He didn't reveal himself. He didn't bring revelation to them until first 
He was willing to show them how much he cared about where they were living. That he was willing to get down and eat with them when it wasn't even something he needed to do. Why was this the case? Notice what the scripture says. That after they broke bread, after this, then their eyes were open and he saw, they saw who he was. And after they saw who he was, what was their response? Their immediate response was they wanted to run and share it with those that they knew. There was something. When you finally get a revelation of who Jesus really is, there's something in you that wants to tell somebody about it. I'm convinced more and more every day. I'm convinced on this journey that God has us on. The reason why most of us don't share Jesus is because we don't have Jesus to share. I come to church. Congratulations. You come to church. I lift my hands. Congratulations. But you know what? You cannot give what you do not have. And so if you don't have Jesus, you can't give Jesus. That's why we have gotten into the bad habit of bringing people to church. Because we know this is where Jesus is. So let's bring them where Jesus is. But if I have Jesus, and when I leave here, He doesn't stay here. But He's with me. He's in me. He's on me. Wherever I go, I take Him with me. So if I'm on the job, I don't have to say to my coworker, come to church on Sunday, you can feel Jesus. If I am walking with him, then on the job, they should be able to feel Jesus coming out of me. So once you see this take place, watch what happens. First, there's a communion built, bridge of communion I think I'm going to mention this. I can't remember. I might have said it to the small group leaders. There's been a lot of stuff the last couple weeks, and it's all confusing after a while, so I don't know who I said it to or what, but the Lord's obviously telling me to say it again, so maybe it's redundant for the sake of repetition. But uh, several weeks ago, about a month ago, I guess it was, I was driving, leaving my house, and all this stuff, the Lord was kind of, Meditating, and I was just kind of chewing on all this stuff the Lord's been dealing with about, and out of the, just, it just dropped in my spirit. The Lord said, My people have built islands when I built bridges. That we have become conditioned to have built islands. That if somebody happens to float by our island, we'll throw out a life ring into the ocean and hopefully they can grab onto it and we'll pull them onto our island. But we ain't getting wet. Forget my English. We're not getting out there because you know what? There's undertow out there and there's sharks and there's barracuda and there's all kinds of stuff out there that we might get in danger. So we'll just hopefully get them and bring them back in. But we're not doing that. But Jesus did not build an island. He built the bridge. He didn't have islands. He built bridges. You say, well, how's that the case? Right here. He could have easily, after his resurrection, he could have set up shop In the temple. He was the man Christ Jesus. Resurrected from the dead. He could have rolled into the temple and said, Hey, just want to let you all know, this whole thing with all this stuff that just happened in the temple, it was because of me. So just everybody back out. Bring me a chair. I'll sit here. Come worship. Come to the temple and worship me. I'm going to be here. 
And there'd be a line in Jerusalem, 50 miles long, of people coming to awe at Jesus Christ in the temple. He didn't do that. This is just moments after he's resurrected. One of the first things that Luke records that Jesus did after his resurrection wasn't run to the disciples, wasn't run to the temple, wasn't run to the Pharisees and, the, and, and, and Caiaphas, the high priest, and say, ha ha, you thought you killed me, but I'm back. The first thing that Luke records Jesus did was he started walking with people that didn't really know who he was. And he started walking with them and he started being with them and he broke bread with them. And when he finally built the bridge of communion, the next thing that was brought about after communion was there was revelation. And then the revelation that took place in these young, in these two men led to commission because then they were compelled to be a part. And we go back and finally at the end of Luke 24, we find that the most confusing, one of the most misquoted things in the scripture is that Matthew 28, 19 is the great commission. You say, well, that, it's going to all the world, teach the gospel, you know, do all that. That's, that. that's the great commission. You're right. That is part of the great commission, but it's not the only great commission. In fact, time out for a second and just let me go down a rabbit trail and I'll bring it back in a minute. That's probably one of the gr- greatest errors in interpretation is that we've made Matthew 28, 19 the Great Commission, because then, because of that, we've elevated above everything else. But you know what? Luke gives us a Great Commission. Matthew says the Great Commission is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But Luke gives us a Great Commission that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached everywhere in the name of Jesus, beginning in Jerusalem. So who are we going to choose to follow? Well, I like Luke's Great Commission. Well, I like Matthew's. Well, do you know John had a Great Commission? He said, the Father has sent me, so has sent I you. So what about that Great Commission? But what if all of of these things really are pieces of a bigger picture? They're not just all standing by themselves as individual commissions, but each one of those men, when they're writing their gospel, is touching on another part of what it's about. And when Luke gives us this order of communion, and then he gives us this order of revelation, and then finally he gives this next part of commission, then finally he gives us the great part, and that is impartation. Because the Bible says that he built the bridge of communion that then led to Revelation. And then he finally gives them commission. Go. Do these things. Preach. Teach. Forgiveness of sins should begin in my name, beginning in Jerusalem. And finally, this is the last thing he said. Tarry until you're a dude with power. Notice the last thing that takes place here in this passage of scripture. In verse number uh, forty. 48, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're a dude with power from on high. Notice, the last part of the entire process is impartation of the Spirit. I know some of you fall asleep on me, that's okay, but for the rest of you that are awake, what have we done? We want to impart and then commune. We have flipped Jesus' pattern. We want to have impartation 
and then get somebody jazzed up about their commission and then come back and say, okay, let me tell you who Jesus really is. And then once is that, now that you're a part of us, let's dine together and have communion. We have flipped the whole order and we wonder why we can't seem to get it done because we're not even following the path that Jesus gave. We want to tell everybody, hey, hey everybody, you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. You need to come get the Holy Ghost. Do you need the Holy Ghost? Yes! Is it a part of the process of, of the new birth experience? Yes! But Jesus didn't even start with that. And it's amazing. I've watched. We want to talk impartation. And then we want to get people, you know, you got to do this. This is the commission God gave you. And then after that, we want to say, but let me sit down and have a Bible study with you so I can give you the revelation of who Jesus is. And then, oh, by the way, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. We never make it to the coffee. Because they don't even understand impartation. So what do we do? We walk around going, see, nobody wants this stuff. Nobody wants what we have. Nobody wants it. We'll just hunker down in Old Crofton Middle School and just try to make it to heaven the best we know how because you know what? The world doesn't want what we want. Of course they don't want what we want. They just want Folgers. They don't want the Holy Ghost yet. They want Folgers. They want Dunkin' Donuts. They want Starbucks. But you know what? It's amazing that Starbucks can lead to an experience with Jesus Christ. Name one place in that entire passage of Scripture that Jesus put pressure on anybody. Name one place there was any pressure. You know, the problem with that, Brother Tino, is, is, that, is that he had to do some things that he knew he didn't, that weren't stuff he needed to do, but they needed it. He didn't need to go eat. He didn't need to do that, but he, they needed that. He didn't ask them. He didn't say, guys, look, you need to come to my world. He was willing to get in their world. He was willing to get in their world and walk their path with them. He wasn't ashamed to be seen with them. <sighs> Sorry, I skipped on that one. Sometimes it gets caught in the throat. He wasn't ashamed to be seen with them. He wasn't worried about being questioned by the eleven. Why did you show up to them first? Why didn't you come to us? We've been following you all three years, and yet you showed up to them. Where were you at when we needed you? He didn't care. He said, these guys need me to walk with them. And when the eleven are back, held up in a room, biting their nails, going, it's the end of the world, Jesus is over there breaking bread and having a sandwich with two guys that just needed to have some food. Because that's how much he cared about their path. You can't show somebody a new path until you're first willing to walk on their path. I love how Luke gives us the exact distance of the road. He didn't say they were on the road. He said they were on the road to Emmaus, which was about seven miles he gives us the fact that it wasn't a few steps of a journey. He didn't give us the fact that, oh, oh, Jesus walked on the road. And you could argue with me. I know scholars could say, well, you know, it wouldn't have that far. They just kind of walked down a path. Luke said, it was seven miles. When's the last time you walked seven miles? All you Fitbit trackers with your steps. 
When's the last time you got seven miles in? That's not exactly a two-minute trip. In fact, it should take somewhere close to about probably two, three hours. So he walked with them. I don't think they were power walking. I mean, this wasn't the people walking around the mall at 7.30 in the morning trying to get their workout in. You ever seen them people? Maybe you're one of those people. Power walking the mall, baby. I don't think they were power walking. I don't think they were in some... I think they were just casually strolling at what pace? Now listen, I'm very hyper. Thank you, Katie. I appreciate that. Thank you. We have kindred spirits, Katie and I do. I'm very hyper. And so my wife actually, as funny as it is, you, you would never know. But she's actually, she, she doesn't like to sit still either. And so we're a perfect match. Because when we go places, she's tall, I'm tall. And even when we don't have somewhere to go, we have somewhere to go. So when we walk the mall, we're not walking the mall like this, you know, just slowly walking the mall. I mean, we're walking. It where are you going? I don't know, but I'm walking, man. We're not, Forget that nonsense. We're going. And so she's, this, you know, she's, she's tall and she can keep up. In fact, she walks faster than I do. So we're, that's why we walk. That's just normal to us. It's no big deal. But some of you know this name. Some of you don't. Brother Scott Shelton's been here many, many years. He's from Arkansas. We have several of here from Arkansas. We're praying, we're praying that the Lord would help them. But he walks at his own He's got his own little beat in his head when he walks. And he literally, he, he, even if he has somewhere to go, he has nowhere to go. The way he walks. And I've been traveled with him in airports. And I travel with him and the bishop. And you know how the bishop is. There is no speed with the bishop except all out. And we're in the airport going and we're walking and we are flying. And we look back and he is way back there with his little, little car and just, he's taking his time. We're like, we're going to miss our flight. I'll be there. They'll hold the plane for me. Not a hurry. And like he said one time, he said, I can't travel with you guys. He said, you guys walk way too fast and you're way too out there. He said, I can't keep up with you all. I said all that to say is, is that I'm used to walking at this pace. This is me. It's not a big deal to me. This I walk. I'm in the mall. People are like, man, that guy's in a hurry. I'm really not. I'm just walking. But if I'm going to walk with you, If I walk at my pace, I'm going to leave you behind. So I'm either going to force you and pressure you to speed your little legs up and let's get moving, brother. Or I'm going to change my pace so I can walk along you even though, hey, to be honest with you, my ADD starts to kick in after five minutes. I'm like, look, man, we can. this is just killing me. Can we go? But because I care about you, I'm going to walk at your pace so that I can be with you. Sometimes you need to slow down. We are so conditioned. And you talk to people and we're so under pressure. Got to pray, got to pray, got to pray, got to pray, got to pray. Got to read my Bible, read my Bible, read my Bible. Got to go to church, got to go to church. Got to think good thoughts, got to love Jesus. Got to do, and then we're running around and someone comes along and Walks our path. We're like, you got to join with me. Let's go. Let's pray. Let's talk to Jesus. You got to go to church. We got to come. And they're like, I don't want anything to do with this. This is nuts. Y'all are crazy. It's so normal to us. It's normal to us. We're running around doing all this stuff. Instead of sometimes just stopping. Slowing down. 
and just taking a breath and walking at somebody else's pace. Jesus, I don't believe Jesus just started walking by these two guys, power walking to Jerusalem to see the disciples. Hey, hey guys, hurry up, come on. If you want to talk with me, let's do it. Giving poor Dylan a workout back there. I don't think he did that. I think he saw them, and if they were walking slow, he said, let's walk. You know, let's be honest with you. If you and I had the ability to just appear somewhere, are you walking to work tomorrow? No. No. Are you sitting in traffic on your commute? You are sleeping until the last moment necessary. You're going and brushing your teeth, combing your hair, taking a shower, putting clothes on, and you are beaming yourself to your desk in the morning right on time. You're not going to walk to work. You're not going to drive to work when you have the ability just to go like this and be there. Jesus had the ability to skip seven miles of hardship and walking, but yet he chose to walk. Seven miles, probably in the heat and in the elements and all this. And the Bible talks about the fact, if you look at the timeline of it, it started to get dark. It must have got begun to get dark, which means on those roads, you got wild animals, you got bandits, you got all kinds of dangers. But yet Jesus still walked at their pace. How many people have you been willing to slow down and walk at their pace? I hate, I mean, I, 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 I mean, let me, let, me, let me not use the word hate. Let me, let me back it down because I'm going to offend somebody saying that. I'm not a big fisherman. I don't want to say I hate fishing. I'm not a big fisherman. Brother Chris Height helped pull the last remnants of fishing out of me several years ago. Because, again, patience is not one of my big strong suits. And so my grandmother used to take me when I was a little boy. My grandmother grew up in Mississippi and dirt floors and I mean just she's just one of those all Miss Universe women. She can do everything. So my grandmother, she used to take me down to me to Tuckahoe State Park on across the Bay Bridge. We had with bamboo poles. She could make the little line and she could tie it. But I love fishing with my grandmother because she would bait the hook. How many touching the worms? I don't want to do all that. And not only that, but not only would she bait the hook, she'd take the fish off for me because I don't want to touch the fish. That's my rule. If you ever invite me fishing, I got two conditions. I'm not baiting my hook and I'm not touching that nasty, slimy fish. If you do that for me, I'll fish with you all day. I don't want to touch your fish. I don't know what it is. It just, it just freaks me out. So she used to take me there. And I remember, you know, what was, what was funny was is that as a little boy, I thought it was interesting. But, but years later, uh, we would go on camping trips. The church used to have camping trips for about 10, 12 years. And a bunch of us would go on there. And we would go out fishing sometimes. And I remember there are some days when you go out there, it was, it was fun. You throw the line out, man, you get some fish and it was okay. But I remember there's sometimes, you know, you get up in the morning and you go out there and you just, you, you, you'd get out there early and you throw the line out and you just sit. And then it'd start getting hot. It'd be summertime, the humidity starts to cook, 
And about three hours of doing that over and over again with no bites, you start to really question the meaning of life and why you got up early in the morning to do this. Now, it's exciting when you get a fish on the line and all that, but that's a lot of work to get one fish. But then, Brother Height was very kind and several years ago invited me. He had a buddy that had... that knew a boat and, 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 and had a boat, a, a charter fishing boat, so they invited me to go out to the bay. And we did the, the troll fishing where you, you, you have the boat and it have all the lines out, so you just sit there. And you just go back and forth, back and forth, waiting for one of the fish to hook on the line. And you know what? That was sort of better, but it was still kind of, I think we were out there for like six hours. I think we had two bites. <laughs> You know what? Neither one of those to me, now maybe to you, you fishermen, just being out there in nature, sitting there, watching your little bobber go up and down, waiting for anticipation for that moment of exhilaration when you can pull in that little fish and you have taken it out of its world from its mom and dad and now... now, (laughs) Now, yeah... Now dad's finding, where's my Nemo? Where's my Nemo? And now Nemo's on your plate, and you're eating your Nemo. And what's, what's, what's Nemo's dad's name? Marlin. You're taking Marlin's son away from him. Maybe that's cool with you, and I, you enjoy that. It's fine. I'm not against it. Fish all you want. The point of the matter is, neither one of those is very... Enjoyable from the standpoint there's a lot of downtime waiting and eventually you can just say, forget it, give up. But that's how we've been, right? That's how we've been. We say, okay, you know, let's go reach people. So we'll throw our bait out in the water and we just hope somewhere, some way, someone's going to have enough sense of hunger to latch onto our bait so we can hook them or someone dumb enough to swim by and run into our hook. Or the better yet is we, we, we become conditioned to go trolling. We just say, we'll just, we'll just throw our bait out there and just attract people to us because we're just so amazing. Because you know what the problem is? Neither one of them requires us to do anything other than just wait and depend on the fish. And then when the fish aren't biting, we can blame the fish. Jesus did not implore. I know he said, I'll make you fishers of men. And we talk about all that and the net fishing and the line fishing. But I don't believe in this context, Jesus was using the fishing metaphor. Because if Jesus was using the fishing metaphor, he would have been sitting on a rock about mile four going, Hey guys, how you doing? You know who it is? It's me. Saw you coming from about four miles away, but... I wanted to let you get here before I talk to you. I could see where you were back then, but, you know, I want to leave the bait sitting here, bobbing in the water so you could see me. He didn't do that. So if Jesus was trying to use the fishing metaphor as a way to reach people, then that's the way he should do. But he said, make them fishers of men. The reason why he said make them fishers of men because he was talking to fishermen. You ever talk to a fisherman? You got to talk like a fisherman talks. Some of you in here are fishermen. We got to use your language. He used the fishermen because that's who they were. But bottom line, what did he do? He was willing to walk their path. So the four points today of this part one, and we'll sing for a moment and go on to something else.
is communion, revelation, commission, and partition. Number one in communion. These are in your notes, by the way. You can take them with you. Go out of your way to find their path. Number two, show sincere interest in their current circumstances. Walk and talk with them a while. No hurry. Share the truth that they're ready for. Be sure they're hungry and willing. No pressure. Break literal literal and spiritual bread. Number two, once you've established that bridge of communion, then revelation comes. But let revelation first reveal Christ by your example. Then reveal His death, burial, resurrection in love. Endure them to Jesus, not yourself. Allow their hearts to burn within before advancing. They must see it or see Him for themselves. You can show everyone, but it's got to be their revelation. Back off! Don't persuade them to action. Allow the Spirit to compel them. I wish you had a highlighter because, oh dear God, we need to underline that. Back off! Why? Now I can just feel the ripple effect of those words. Can't back off. They're dying and going to hell. Until you show me your nail scars and your thorns and your side, don't be talking about the fact, oh, they're going to... No, your job is just to let the Spirit do the work. Finally, in the commission, share God's purpose for their lives, not just salvation, escape from hell. Christ commanded them to share the gospel before salvation. We do not bait them with ministry titles, but we must not train them to always be dependents. Share the need to release and bury their past through repentance and baptism. Begin a new future. Reveal complete dependence on the Holy Ghost to fulfill this commission. Share the salvation plan essential for both salvation and mission. Notice this is all happening after you built those first two bridges, not before. And finally, impartation. Notice, Put this, impartation precedes commission in the congregational approach. Meaning, when we've gone old school, let's invite people here, that is putting impartation ahead of communion, revelation, and commission. But Jesus didn't do that. And finally, impartation increased their faith in the promise of the Father with Scripture and testimonies. And finally, speak the word with faith. Because once... They've had communion. Once they've had revelation, once they've understood the commission, then they'll have faith. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Once the Word of God is alive in their hearts, then it opens them up to be able to see. And now when you speak the Word in faith, your faith can connect with their faith. And when you get two people with faith connecting together, something powerful can happen. Let's stand this morning. We're not dismissing. Don't leave me here. We're like, my goodness, it's early. Let's get out of here. I want to challenge us this, this summer. I want you to challenge you this summer. Beginning, this, beginning now as we move forward. We're going to be doing other things throughout the summer. But I want you to start now. And I want, I wonder if this summer could be a summer of communion. 
And again, I'm not talking about the fact come next week we're going to have little grape juice and crackers and we're going to be doing that. That's not the communion. I wonder if this could be a summer of building bridges instead of expecting people to float by your island, but you can begin to build bridges. Notice, maybe you might have to get into their world and do things that you don't normally do, but willing to get in their world, willing to have a cup of coffee, willing to break bread, willing to do something with them, maybe willing to go to somewhere that they're interested in. Why? Because when you can build the bridge of communion, then you can open the door to step into revelation. But you cannot reveal until you first will and build communion. The biggest mistake a lot of us are making is we're trying to skip to the last parts before we build the first parts. And we've said it before and we'll say it again. People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. I wonder if you would take the pressure off yourself. Because when you feel pressure to win people, you put pressure on them. I got to go win the lost. You got to come because if you don't, if you don't come get saved, I'm not going to be saved. So you better get your butt here because I got to be saved and I need some, I need to show everybody that I'm in this. So you get here. We don't say that, but that's the point. And when you do that, guess what? You pull them on your path and you pull them at your speed, willing to be pressured, say, hey, let me walk on your path with you. I want you to ask the Lord today, just right here in this moment, as we pause before we go into something else, I wonder if you could stop and ask the Lord today to say, say it this way in, any, in your words, but say with this context, Lord, open my eyes to those around me. Let me see where they are, the path that they're walking And God, give me the grace and the wisdom to walk their path with them. To be on their path with them. Come on, let God begin. Maybe as we've even talked today, I believe in the Holy Ghost. As I have taught today in this verse part, that God has begun to show you a face. God's begun to drop a name. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody you haven't heard, thought about in, in a long time. But as we have taught this morning, all of a sudden their name has popped in your head. So-and-so, call so-and-so. Why don't you find out where so-and-so is? Why don't you reach out to so-and-so on Facebook and see what's going on in their life? Maybe their face popped in your head. You're like, well, that's crazy. I I haven't thought about them. Maybe instead of dismissing that, why don't you say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? But instead of getting on the phone and inviting them and saying, come, come to a small group, come to Come to a gathering next Sunday. Come, come, come. Why don't you be willing to say, hey, would you like to get a cup of coffee this week? Would you like to hang out? Would you like to just go and just just go, go, go somewhere? I know this is, go catch a movie. Do something that's in their world before you dare try to bring them in your world. Father, open our eyes today. I know, God, you were trying to do something in us, through us. I know, God. But, Lord, it's got to be your way. It's got to be your methods. It can't be our own ideas, our thoughts. God, I pray now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, open our eyes today, Lord. Open our hearts today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.